podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the second episode of the URC FanView series, a fan-led series recapping the season gone by for each of the four Irish provinces. Our focus tonight turns to Connacht, who bowed out of the semi-final stage at the hands of the Stormers. With it, the curtains close on the Andy Friend era, as Connacht seemed to be in better shape from top to bottom than ever before. With me to look back on the rip-roaring season gone by are two Connacht fans and podcasters. Firstly, I'm joined by the host of the Master of None podcast, Stephen Murphy. Welcome aboard, Stephen. Great to have you on. Thank you very much, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. No problem. And my second guest is a knowledgeable insider and analyst of Connacht. He goes by the second row, a.k.a. Park Kelly. Welcome to the pod, Park. Thanks, Caelan. And that'll be the first time anyone's called me knowledgeable in a long time. So thanks yeah, very I, much. <laughs> I also didn't get that in my intro. So what is that's a dig? That's obviously a dig at me. So I'm obviously not knowledgeable. I've just been not doing this longer. That's all. Like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not starting that intro all over again. <laughs> Next time you're on scene, I would just lay it on deck. It's just appreciate, appreciate all it. on. Well, first and foremost, lads, there's only one place that we can really start, and that is with Andy Friend. I wouldn't go as far as to say. We should just give them the freedom of Galway once they return to South Africa. If if they have returned, I'm not 100% sure. But he's just done so much good work. And like uh, the rugby phrase, even though it's off field, is some of it is unseen work during his spell. So just to kick things off, do you want to take us through what he means to Connacht and um, the legacy he's left? We'll start with yourself, Stephen. Yeah, um, there's kind of a few ways to look at it. Obviously, anyone who's actually any, had any dealings with him in person, uh, he's, we were lucky enough to have him on the podcast, um, and he very graciously came on the podcast. It wasn't tough to get him on or anything like that. And he's just a really nice, as he would call himself, a bloke, uh, just a really nice lad, really nice guy, very, very generous with his time, very knowledgeable. And a lot of lads, sometimes sometimes really knowledgeable people like Porik, um, uh, unlike myself, uh, can make you sometimes feel a bit stupid when they're really knowledgeable on a subject, but Andy won't do that. He will make you feel like almost like you know more than him sometimes, which is not the case. Um, and just yeah, really, really personable, really, really nice. His wife Kerry, the totally bought into to, to Connacht, to Galway, uh, to rugby itself here. The, you know they've been here for five years. That's no, that's not a, sh- a short holiday by any means, especially during COVID when they didn't get home for. God knows how long when they did get home, you have to sit in a hotel for I can't remember what it was at the time, two, three weeks, maybe, maybe two four. Two weeks, I think. Yeah. You did an article about it before, I think. Yeah. So um, you know, by by no means an easy time to be here, taking over from the Kieran Keane, you know, era, which was all kind of negative uh, and coming in wasn't uh I, I remember at the time people were kind of questioning the appointment just because of his sevens kind of experience rather than uh, his fifteens, but uh, just came in and since then has had you know a lot of a lot of tough things to navigate um you know not the best budget in the world i love his phrase when you know when they go for transfers they go to the bargain kind of basement bargain section um no, and they've not brown on... thomas i think he said before no it's, not brown thomas aldi so. not brown thomas yeah aldi not brown thomas so um but you know like like in aldi you can get some great stuff and we've gotten some great stuff uh we've got the likes of mac hansen and we've got the likes of john porch um, these guys who've come in and been absolute rock stars uh, hit the ground uh, running and you know as you said before he's left Connacht in a much better place than when he left uh, and that's all you can really you can all that's all you can really do bar winning silverware but look we have to be realistic with Connacht that's not the easiest thing to do um, especially when the URC now when you're in the shield with the, re- with the other Irish teams but you can't speak highly enough of the man himself, the job he's done, even, you know, having that foresight to let Pete Wilkins kind of come in and start to take over towards this year, him t- kind of taking a back seat. Um, you know, it would have been easy for him to just be like, okay, that's me done at the end of this year. I don't really care what happens from year from here on out. Uh, but you can clearly see he cares enough that he, he let kind of Pete Wilkins get into that driver's seat a little bit earlier uh, to get comfortable with the role uh, and to nurture him into that role. And it's, we're already kind of seeing the benefits of that towards the end of the season. Um, and yeah, we like personally can't wish him, uh, couldn't wish him kind of the best of luck for the rest of his kind of a next or his next adventure um, and him and his family. And hopefully they have, I know they're going to go traveling around Ireland for a few months, I think, in the camper van before they go to the, they're going to go to the World Cup. Uh, and then I'm sure go maybe back home to Australia with the family. I know, I know he became a grandfather this year as well. So uh, yeah, just can't speak high enough for the man. All right. Do you want to jump in there as well? Because 
I don't know if people have seen it, and I, I might even throw it into the into the program notes if I remember. But you wrote a brilliant article about Andy Friend um, during the week, so do you want to jump in? I'm, I don't expect you to have learned it off and to read it all out, but do you want to jump in and give your own thoughts on the what we can probably say is a comic legend? Yeah, like I think what Andy brought to Connacht was kind of almost a grounding of what Connacht is. He came in with this attitude that just encapsulated what it means to be someone in Connacht you've got to buy into the area you've got to buy into the people and you've got to buy into the fact that you're not gonna be on the same living field and level the playing field as everyone else and you just got to get on with it like there is no he brought this affable personality the ability to make you feel seen is an incredible skill and he brought rugby back to the clubs again. Like my my nephew has seen Bundyaki and Jack Carty more times in person than I have. You know, and he's in in the Gaeltacht and that was not Wait, a big club a couple jealous? years ago. Is that why you're saying apart? Yes. Like, yes, of course. <laughs> I am. But like, <laughs> they're nice lads. <laughs> yeah. But the, the fact is that these guys are getting out to the clubs again. You know, they're getting out and about. And I think that was a big part of Andy, especially post-COVID. We realized, hold on a second, this connection is important. He remembered that importance. And that was kind of gone in that year between Pat and him taking over. What he's done off the pitch is bring people along with him. What he's done on the pitch is make sure that there's competition. People have come in and go, well, he's not better than the person who's there before, but he's equally as good. And there's guys coming in now that you can actually say they should be starting the whole way through. There's no fodder really in our squad. And he's made sure that that's a thing. It's hard to actually put into words. It was hard to even write the article together because you could have, could have wrote like 50 pages, but you have to kind of just trim it down. And just he was a great guy. He did great work. And going forward, I think we will be able to push on with our lesser budget because of what he's done so far. Yeah. No, and that's, listen, as I, as you said, like he's left Connacht in a better place. And that's, all you can ask for and we'll, we'll talk about coaching and at the very end moving on to next season with what some people have said is the all beards and or all beard and all bald club which not a bad club but uh, we'll start looking back on the season now and we we'll go in chronological order which we always do on this um and i shared a graphic to of conic season as a as a chart which as we know they got off to a shake start losing their first three before they eventually steadied their ship um so my own URC fan view pre-season preview article series um, a lot of people did say it was a tough start, they couldn't let it get to them it was not going to be about results especially when you go to South Africa and you go to Ravenhill it's not all about results, it's about putting performances together so I'll, I'll turn this one to you Stephen, was the optimism dwindling for you in those early performances or had you faith to just turn it around with you know home games coming up and a, a nice back end to the season? Um, I mean, logically, yes, we did have faith just because we were kept being told by coaching staff and players, you know, in, in media and whatnot, that they were close, that they were close to getting things, you know, everything was close to clicking. Um, but personally, yeah, I, I won't lie and say my optimism was dwindling. Look, it was an incredibly tough start to the campaign, as you kind of mentioned, like the first five games, they played the four semifinalists. I think the other team that wasn't a fi- semifinalist was Munster. Um, so, you know, you were like an absolute gauntlet to start the season. That was tough. What I didn't love, even with the losses, I'd be quite, again, I'm okay with losses if the performance is there. The performances weren't there in those first few games. It was kind of the Connacht of the classic Connacht kind of one step forward, two steps back and a lot of, in a lot of areas on the pitch. And that was what was frustrating because look, you're not going to beat the, some of these teams. That's just, that's just the reality of it. But, you know, if you give a good showing of yourself, like, um, like last weekend against the Stormers, we didn't play terribly, and I, I can live with that when you're beaten by a better team. Same the week before with Glasgow, um, you, you can ex- or the week sorry two weeks before with Glasgow, so that that was where I was starting to starting to lose optimism, as well. Personally, again, and this is more of a personal thing. I didn't really sense that there was like anger within the club that the performances weren't there. And that was my mistake because that's obviously not the kind of culture that the likes of uh, Andy Friend and Pete Wilkins has ha- has there in the club. 
um, and they kind of they trusted the process. They trusted that hey, we are going to turn this around, um, and we saw that in terms of results, in terms of consistency. And Connacht went from what we loved as well. Connacht were beating the teams that we expected Connacht to beat, the teams that were below us in the table, and that hasn't always been the case. You, you know, you'd beat double, or you'd beat Leinster in the RDS, and then you'd go and lose to the Dragons at home. And that was the sort of performances that would just kill, you know, kill any momentum and kill the the belief in the team. Because you're like, how can you be so good on one day and then just kind of lay an egg the, the next day? Uh, and that's what kind of frustrated a lot of Connacht fans. But this year, we kind of didn't really see that. We saw, you know, beating the teams you should be beating and, you know, giving a proper good goal to the teams that maybe are above you in terms of talent and, and you know, funding and whatnot. Um, so yeah, well, did, did my optimism dwindle? I, I'd be lying if I said yeah, it didn't. But we also knew that it was a really tough start to the year, and if you could get to January and February still in the hunt, there was a chance of going on a run. And you know, when fairness to the lads, they absolutely did that. Or do you want to add anything to that one? Yeah, it was just it was just a really odd season. Like before the season began, you see the pitch isn't there. Like the guys aren't even training on the pitch they're going to be playing in at home. You know, for the guts of the season. Um, I remember hearing that the that the ash the four G that came in they let it, they built it in in like a couple of mil too high, so it was affecting people's kicking. It's all this type of stuff. So it's those type of things that they still had to adjust as the season went on. And every single person knew that beginning was going to be tough. And I think if you're only human, if that doesn't affect you in some way, that you're whole away to Ulster, then you're away in South Africa. Then you're away in Thoman, like yes, and we and we got that win. But I think that at the time that was more where Munster were than where Connacht were, you know. Like, and we I, I just out. jump in. That was in the sports ground. The four, that was the first game back in the sports ground against yeah. Munster, and then Leinster was the other game. That's the one. Sorry, yeah, you're right. And um, like, and it was one of those weird things where we in the league we were kind of stuttering. In Europe, we're we're playing well and. It was hard to make because we still, after those fir- that first block, our performances kind of normalized. The intensity was rising all the time. All those nice markers of indicators of where the team are going. But at the the big problem is now is the mistakes that lead to seven points in by the end of the season. Um, because, like Stephen said, we're beating teams that we're expected to beat, but it's not that we're beating them. It was very professional. It wasn't like a tough win. It's like, oh yeah, we just dispatched teams. And that's kind of the performance that we're now expecting going forward. That's the base level for that squad. And that base level has actually risen year on year of what is now expected. So after a tough start, it was a much better end. And I think that's all you can really hope for because even themselves, they said that they they knew stuff they were doing at the beginning of the season wasn't working and they've changed how they're playing. Um, Andy Friend said it there before the last, the before the Stormers match. They they changed what they were doing because it, what they tried something new, it didn't work, and then they changed again, all in one season. And it is like it's the point that's being made about Munster this week, having got to the final, is they wanted to try something, it wasn't working, they stuck with it, and it worked. And that's that is the a big thing for a coaching ticket. And I I looked into it there so or before the, before the show like. From round three on to round 18, the only teams that beat them were the fellow provinces, uh, once each, I think, or twice for Leinster and Glasgow. Um, now, granted, they fell to five Interpro losses, but as you said, they're beating teams they're expected to beat. They didn't lose any home games. They're Leinster at home and Ulster at home. And even at that, that was a kick of a ball. Like, it's not a, it's not a massive loss or anything like that. Like, Leinster is a different kettle of fish, as we know. So... Just because I just want to focus on that point. So they lost five Interpro games this season. Granted, they won the one game that probably mattered most, and that was the game with Raven Hill, and I should throw that in. But do you feel, and I'll come to you for this one, Bark, do you feel there's a clear step that Connacht need to take to bridge that gap? Or is it just a case of a lot of one-score games, It's it, there's really nothing between the provinces at the moment, and that Irish rugby is, is just very healthy? There. I think you're right. There's very, very little between the provinces, especially their top level performances. But if Connacht want to make that next step, it's all about the mental skill side of the game, the mistake side of the game. So I think by the end of the year, the game plan was fairly solid. What lets has let Connacht down is 
individual players making individual mistakes in what are relatively good performances. So someone could be on to a, like a 10 out of 10, but will drop a ball in front of the line or uh, go for a kick and it'll be, it'll go out the full or those little things that just kill momentum. And we're a demon for momentum killer mistakes. Uh, sometimes we can compound them more often than not. And it's, that side of it, I think that's a mental skill side of the game. I think that's a sports psychologist side of the game. And that's the big leap. What needs to happen next? I think fresh voices in the coaching room will help with that, um, especially the likes of Fardy. I think he's been there, done that on the pitch. So hopefully he can bring that as a, from a coaching perspective. Um, and if they get someone in the backroom team in some level that will work on those mental skills, I think that's the big leap we need to make as a province to be more competitive and to put those type of tight games away yeah and actually i'm gonna troll this one to you Stephen, because i had a list of you anyway but brian quinn on twitter asked um is there a need for mental skills coach or a skills coach at connacht park has underlined the reasons there would you go along with it what he said yeah, in terms of like sports psychology, is it? I yeah. can only assume that's what. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, absolutely. I don't. I, I can't see how any sort of professional team uh, won't doesn't have it. Uh, from what I've heard from people who have messaged me on Twitter and stuff like that, I think there's one available to players in Connacht. Now this could be incorrect, but it's not mandatory. Um, I would change that. I would. I think it has to be mandatory in the same way that you work on your physical skills in terms of keeping and looking after your body and looking after the food that you put into your system. You have to be looking at the mental side of the game. Um, I, I find sports psychology kind of fascinating. I, I play golf and it's a huge part of golf. You know, the, there's a really famous Bob Rutella who's a famous sports psychologist and he looks after some of the best golfers in the world. He also works with LeBron James. If LeBron James is looking at sports psychology, who is the most naturally gifted freakish athlete in the world, who if anyone could get away with not being mentally sharp, it's probably LeBron James. If he's doing that, then yeah, maybe some of the Connacht lads need to look into it too. And it's not just because obviously the, the advantages that it gives you, there's so many benefits to it. It, it takes some of the stress away. Like being a professional athlete is stressful. Like you have a lot of pressure coming on you from within, a lot of pressure from your coaching staff, from fans, from other from other players. That's that's stressful. Like being able to handle that and bring out the confidence within yourself. And a lot, a lot of golfers say it takes away a lot of the decision making for them. Just so like they know what the plan is, and if things don't go, you know, go to plan, they they adjust and. I don't see how a professional team doesn't have it. Now, I, I looked at a couple of the other teams. Leinster doesn't have a psychologist listed on their backroom staff. I'd be shocked if they don't have it. Um, I'm like I'm sure the, the Irish national team have it. Andy Farrell seems very, very in tune with the sports psychology side of things. They bring one in every now and again. It's Gary yeah. Keegan, isn't it? Yeah, Keegan. I think. So I, 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 think, I think you have to. I think it's, it's a, a resource that you have to tap into especially with Connacht, as Park said, the, these, the small errors that get compounded. We saw at the weekend with the Stormers, Ralston scores are back in the game. Tom Diddy knocks on the ball and they don't jump on the ball. They just let it bounce because they don't want to give away a penalty. And then the Stormers player just picks it up and scores. Like, just jump on the ball, take the penalty. Like, it's it's small mental errors that, for some reason, Connacht seem to get absolutely punished by every time. So, yeah, I think you need to get a mental, a, mental, a sports psychologist in 100%. Do you think, I, I'm not going to point fingers because do you think some of that is at a coaching level? Is it at a player's level or a leadership level? Or is it just we get in a coach like that and that will help round things out? Because there is going to be people listening at home and they hear the mental skills and they'll, they'll roll their eyes and then say, that's on coaches or that's on leaders. But what's your take on that? Because I have no idea what goes on in the professional environment. I'm not saying you do, but what what do you think? It's it's all based on individual skill set, you know. I think um, because Andy went into the director of rugby role, he was kind of doing that more hands on with the players. You know, how are things going on, type of thing. I know Jack has spoken openly about going to sports psychologist uh, himself outside of the Connacht environment. I've heard that as well that there's someone in there that's available. It's every single coach brings something different to the table. And if it is a, a piece of the puzzle that you can't do as a coach, 
then you bring someone in for it. That's why Keegan's in the RFU. Like Andy Farrell is renowned for his man management. But that external voice where you can go and say, Andy Farrell's a prick, it is sometimes needed. That, but So that person then come back to Farrell in a roundabout way and go, all right, this is what you need to work on in this aspect. It's all circular. If there's someone in there doing that, that's brilliant. If there isn't, it's a voice that needs to kind of come in. I feel it's been needed for the last couple of years. And I've heard there's someone there as well that they can go talk to. But I think is if they're not part of the plan and it's just an additional resource, then it's not helping the plan. That's fair. And actually, thankfully, you mentioned Jack Carty because the very first podcast on this channel is an interview with myself and Jack, and he does mention that. So I'm just going to plug that in. <laughs> Thank you very much, Parag, for the shameless plug. Um, so we spoke about this uh, myself and yourself, Park, uh, before, but as on the week we record, there is a home Titan Cup final and Challenge Cup final in Dublin in the Diva Stadium, um, this weekend. And this is something that Connacht listed as a big goal, both players and and coaching staff. Um, now this is a URC series, but we will touch on Europe because it's a huge part, and I should be looking at the whole campaign, Park. Do you think that? Firstly, did Connacht let one slip? Um, considering like it was a sighted aim, like even in the my own fan view preview, like people were saying this this was one, this was like Leicester's goal for this. Or do you think the fact they made a URC semi-final, going on the late run that they did, I'm not trying to make excuses or anything, you can have two goals, that's possible. Do you think that kind of eases it a small bit? Because that's a pretty historic season for Connacht, six wins in their own and the URC semi-final. The year, it's it's one of those things where one thing does almost negate the other. You know, we make the URC semi-final, not making, not beating Newcastle that day, not getting the home run to a possible Challenge Cup suddenly isn't as big a deal. That's because we made the semi-final. Whereas if we don't make that semi-final, if that match in Ulster goes the way people think it is, then suddenly that Challenge Cup is something that we have let slip. I think Connacht were right to rotate the players throughout the Challenge Cup as they did. They were given performances and you've got to back performances. It goes back to building that squad that then if you're not willing to back guys who are making big plays, then why are they in your team? And there are guys making big plays. So that's where they went to play. On that night in Newcastle, it didn't go right for them. I think we played the best Benetton that have that we played against a bedtime team that played their best performance in, I'd say, at least three years. And we just, they got, they were there on a day. And that's what we got caught on. That just happens, you know. Sometimes, like that day in Benetton, we got beat by a better team, you know. the That was that slip in Newcastle when the team didn't perform to their own ability. And I think they almost had it in the head after beating Newcastle, given the situation they're in, that the team weren't quite as... I don't know. I'm not in the squad, but it, it didn't feel like the focus was quite right at times. Um, and then we started chasing the game. And when once you're chasing, you're almost always lost. It's one of those things, because like I said, because we got to the URC semi-final and we performed as well as we did it in the lead up to it, I think we can kind of go, this was a good season for Connacht overall. But if we don't make that game, suddenly it isn't. And that's just sport. That's, that's, that's the nature of a league. You know, one win can make a season good or bad. Yeah, and you talk about, you know, take a shot when you hear me say this on this podcast, but you talk about fine margins. And Connacht in that Newcastle game, I remember distinctly, they had a chance, I think it was to level the game, Keelan Blades corner try, pass it slightly forward. It's like, it's not obvious it goes to TMO, it's not given. They end up coming up short. That would have been a fourth try as well, and that would have given them a home quarter final. Yeah. Like, that's that's the small bit that you're looking at. And even that Benetton game, like, as he said, you probably had the best Benetton performance in a long, long time. Stephen, do you want to take a shot? What do you think of, of the Challenge Cup campaign as a whole? And could you even say, like, given the fact that they've loaded young players, like, I know Don Porch is the exception of the rule. He played all bar one game for Connacht this season. But you look at, say, the likes of Darren Murray, Oshie McCormack, or McNulty, Dear McIlgallan, they all got valuable minutes in this tournament. And for Pete Wilkins next year, who we have to remember, he was in that coaching group this season as well, and he's going to be there next season. And he might need to call on these players. Was maybe that rotation just 
you die by your sword that, that you want to play with. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think uh, I agree with Park. You had, I think, the right to rotate that game. Um, look, this is the 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 boring part of blooding young players is you don't really see the benefit for another year or two, um, and especially in those games we saw it last year we where we were had injuries, you the likes of Jordan Duggan playing in massive group games in the Champions Cup, uh, and same with Jack Anger and like th- that stands the players in a year's time. You know, it, it might not work great in the moment, but look, it, you have to look down the road as well. It's it's not just a case of you know this game is the only thing that matters. We need we need to look ahead too and. Especially with Connacht's squad, I think it was—I think it was the right call personally. Look, it was disappointing that they didn't go on a on a more of a run. Absolutely, but look, as you said, sports is fickle. Benetton absolutely exploited us. I think our defensive system—you know—we like to kind of be pretty narrow. And if if you can beat us on the outside, there's space there. Benetton found space over and over again, uh, and you know they were by far the better team on the day. Um, you know, is it a disappointment? I, I, no, I, at the end of the day, you have to be kind of realistic about what Connacht are. I think we, you know, we might get into it later on, but I think this was pretty much as good of a season, maybe bar the semi final of the Challenge Cup, potentially a final that Connacht could have had. I think it was a fantastic season. You know, again, being logical of what Connacht are, I think, yeah, it was a brilliant season. And it's probably worth pointing out because it only just came to me now and not when I was writing the notes, and one you might remember. But am I right in saying that Connacht were unlikely to make top two around the time the team was named and then Bristol lost points at that weekend or they were in a hearing during the week and then lost points and then slipped down? Am I right in saying that they kind of overlap? So like you can't just say one thing on Monday and then change your mind on Friday because something else happens. Yeah, so literally I think Bristol got docked points for having an, an a eligible player and that kind of brought Connacht into a we could have ended up second seed conversation that we weren't in on the Monday, it became very weird very fast. And instead of just needing to win, the permutations came in and suddenly everyone's watching results. And I think Andy Friend talked about trying to keep everyone off that type of vibe of what do we need? What do we need? But guys have phones. Guys have their own way of getting into games. You know, guys hear things. They get text messages, whatever. You can't stop that uh, you can try and stop the noise as much as possible but all it takes is your focus being off by one percent and suddenly you're not quite in the game you're not not training you're not trying any less you're not like trying any less or anything like that it's just your focus just quite isn't there like great it's great for me when that happens to work there's only one other person in the room with me not a couple of thousand people watching you know yeah and that's fair and one man who because I, I know I didn't have this written down, but just because we're on about that Newcastle game for a few minutes, one man who really performed that day was Finley Beelham. And he went on and had a brilliant Six Nations for Ireland, as did Matt Hansen and Bundy as well. Do you think now, like obviously Connacht have made gradual progression over the last couple of years since, say, you could say the last decade, year on year. Do you think, like having lads like Finley Beelham, who are not only playing for Ireland, playing big games for Ireland, Bundy as well, Mac is one of the best players in the world, this season and last season as well. Do you think that helps? And that's this isn't related to Newcastle, it just helped me think of it. But do you think that that helps in terms of the the progression that Connacht are going on? Like you, they lose to Newcastle, but they bounce back and they beat, I think it was the Sharks at home, pretty convincingly. That they're, they're brilliant that night and they go on this brilliant run. Do you think that that is just one of the things that comes with, you play better, you get more players in the international team and then these lads drive you on for more? Yeah, 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 100%. I think for a while it was kind of just Bundy who had that kind of experience coming in and um, now having the likes of Finley and Mac coming in only only adds to that. Just on Mac alone, I was thinking this other day, what I love about what Mac has done, I think a lot of Connacht's progression... <clears throat> well, obviously his hair and facial <laughs> hair. Yep. Um, you never know what you're going to get every week with Mac. <laughs> uh, but I think a lot of Connacht's progression this year in a lot of ways has to do with his attitude. Mac has come in and in in a in a very positive way doesn't really give a fuck, and I mean that in like the best way possible <laughs> yeah. because there's no mental baggage. That's my Mac. headline right there. Thank you very much, Steve. Yeah, but like there's no like oh I fear Leinster. Leinster really good. Mac doesn't give a shit about Leinster. Mac's coming from Australia. Mac doesn't even probably hadn't even heard of Connacht up until about two or three years ago. I think he said that recently. He's like I didn't really hear them. Like so he's not coming in here. Even the Six Nations. He's like oh yeah cool. Like this is just another rugby game for me. I'm gonna go in and. 
guess what? I'm going to try my best, but if it doesn't come off, I'll try again. I, I think that has translated to Connacht a little bit. And Finley's a bit like that. Finley's a very much a free spirit, and he comes in. like Those lads will give it their all on a, in a game day, and they'll do their best to win. But I, I don't feel like they let it get to them if they lose. Like, Mac will just get back up and go again. And, and it's, I think that's translated to the rest of the players a little bit, to have a go and, look, it, we're going to give it our best. When, when we click, we're fecking good. Uh, and if we don't, we'll just get back on the horse and go again. I think that has translated to Connacht's kind of progression a little bit too. As Ted Lasso would say, they're both goldfish. You know, it's like... A hundred percent. You know, like, and that's what I like about them. They, they, they play with an intensity, but when something happens, it, it hasn't happened. Like, it's straight away, it's like, all right, next job, off we go. And it's having guys playing at that level is what's bringing Kant along this year. I think you look at Niall Murray, he's playing at that level. I, if he builds his engine and becomes an 80-minute guy, I think he is going to be in discussions for Ireland team going forward if he's not already. But it's just that side of it, like, they're leading by example. Um what Connacht need in that sense is leaders in leaders, you know, those kind of more vocal guys who are going to drive the standards because these guys are just going to go and do their job incredibly well and you've got to match them and they bring you along that way. Uh, it's They also need the guys like Jack who drive standards week in, week out, day in, day out on the training field and more and more guys are getting there, I think, and that's the big thing for that for the team. Yeah, and because you brought up Niall Murray as well, I am obliged, because of a conversation I had midweek about him and his brilliant form, I'm obliged to say Niall Murray should be in the Ireland conversation. And I'm not saying this simply because someone said no one mentions him, but it is some of the reason. But he has been absolutely brilliant for Connacht this season. And I will, you know, it's it's not just jokes. It's like I'm making these jokes because he's listening, but it is true. He is definitely one of those. And you look at even... You know, you look at Connor Oliver, good player at Munster, has pushed on to another level and so on. And this is a running team. And when you have players like that who are in that bracket of, you know, good players starting to realise their potential, great things can happen. And I think that's what kind of happened with Connacht this season. And listen, we all remember, even if it was pretty ad nauseum at one stage, the URC Statmaster saying that Connacht had a 17% chance of making the playoffs. Don't get me wrong, it's it's just maths, but Guys, he could have laid off not sharing it for one week when he went on that run. <laughs> but he had less of a chance than Edinburgh, Cardiff, Lions, Benetton and Ospreys. And I'm pretty sure you bet three of those in your last six games. Three, if not four. Um, and like, in true Connacht fashion, the fight wasn't over at any stage. It wasn't over in January. You won those six straight. You won. You got seventh. Um, but in, a, in this, going back to the preseason articles again, one Connacht fan claimed that they had to prove to themselves and to others that they can be consistent. And it was starting to grow at that stage. Upon reflection, uh, lads, we'll, we'll go to you first, Stephen. Do you think that this historic run was um, the true sign of what Connacht to knew and did prove to themselves that they can be a consistent team and a contender? Absolutely, yeah. Like we were saying on, on my podcast as well, like coming in February, like there was a chance to go on the run, but you know, talking about going on a run and actually going on a run are two very different things. And Connacht actually went on that run and they built, you know, week in, week out. And it was actually during the Six Nations, it was, you know, there was two weeks off here, a week off here. It was by no means like, uh, you know, a, a consistent run of games, like week in, week out. And that's even tougher to do. And we look, we all know how talented Connacht can be. And on their day, they can beat anybody. We've seen that. But as we said before, there's also the days where they just don't show up. Uh, we saw that in the first half of the season a little bit. We've seen it last year too many times, and we didn't see that towards the end of the season. Um, we, as you said, we were actually kind of dispatching teams uh, pretty comfortably, bar maybe the the Ulster semi, the quarter final, where you know we probably should have been twenty points ahead and, and out of sight. You know, Connacht like to make it a bit more uh, exciting than that. Uh, but yeah, is it was this kind of you know again looking at realistically. I think maybe sixth would would have been the highest we could have gotten the URC and and look back and be like okay that's actually fair I think every team above us were are better teams than Connacht are, are better squads but they're also bigger teams they're they're more funded teams they're you know much more deeper squads than Connacht so I think sixth seventh is kind of the highest we could have got this year and we and we achieved that which is fantastic. You know, last year we finished 11th, 12th, I think, in the, in the league. Yeah, um, 11th, I think. 11th in the league, yeah. And yeah. like we never really had a run at the top eight at all. 
Um, so to be actually finishing seventh this year with nearly sixth, probably we were better off finishing seventh than sixth in in, in hindsight. Um, you know, if next year could we finish fifth? Absolutely. Could we also finish tenth? I mean, that's not impossible either. Like we, this is the thing we don't know yet with Connacht. So was it the best we could have done this year? I think absolutely. Uh, credit has to go to the players and coaching staff. The question is now, how do we follow up a good year? Do we follow up with an even better year? I think we all agree here. I'm sure Park would say top eight now is what we expect. Will we get that? I don't know, but that is that should be the aim now going forward every year to progress that up and, you know, again, maybe get to a URC final. Who knows? I think what this season showed in the URC is that 50 points is roughly top eight. And that's kind of, you need to win half, 10 games. And what Connacht did this year over last year is we won that extra game, but we were getting bonus points a lot more. The lack of bonus points last year was a killer. And like, and because we only lost one game more than the person who came eighth. Like that's how tight it was. And it was pretty much the same as tight this year again. You And it's winning your home games is very important. And us going on that run and winning those home games and winning the games we should have won is what made us get to that point. What's happening happened over the last couple of years and this year I showed it towards the end of this year, it showed more. It's our base level and our highs are a lot closer than before because our lows used to be a lot lower than our lows now. So as long as that low keeps coming up, we can start competing on a more consistent basis and getting into that top eight. Because if you think about it, the top eight is the best team in Scotland for the Irish teams and three of the best teams in South Africa. You know, so if one day by miracle, the Welsh teams get themselves sorted, that's an extra spot or two that has to get, has to go from that group of eight. You know, if you think about it, just you would think they would can get into that position with, you know, good coaching or something. So our, we're in a tough league. We're not always going to be in the top eight, but I think we have the tools to compete to be in the top eight on a constant basis. Yeah, and dare I say it is the best league. But like, listen, from from an outsider point of view, and this is important to, to balance both sides as well. Like this was an incredible run the Connacht went on. Like you can even look at that Glasgow game. No one beat Glasgow in Glasgow. Okay, Munster did it eventually, but no one came close to beating them until Connacht really racked them. They really should have won that. Like there was probably a wrong penalty call in a mall in the last play of the game away from possibly beating them. And like that's that's so much even. Like we're not going to talk about referees because. There's been so much of that this weekend. I'm actually fed up with it at this stage. It but, is a like, shit conversation to have, isn't it? Oh, it's like, boring. With how good the rugby's been, if you're talking about refs, good luck. Like, you know, like, just talk about the rugby. And my, my whole thing, I have my inner, my inner anti-ref talk is, if you're talking about one ref decision cost you a game, you didn't do enough to win a game. You know, you've got to be, it can't be one call. You know, you can be frustrated about things. Yeah, but if you're hanging it all on one call, good luck. Goodbye, good night, you know. Don't be talking to me. Yeah, no, that's that's it. But like that's like listen, Connacht did go on this run, and when they by the time they came to Glasgow, they were literally that close away. And yeah, we're not going to talk to the referee, but it, listen, another day they get that call. Maybe they don't, maybe they don't even score from it anyway. Maybe they don't come close. Um, but that probably I'm not gonna say gave them confidence because they did lose, but there was definitely an element going into that Ulster game that lads we can go we can do something here like we can we can really rattle them and they, they didn't just rattle them. like they they physically hurt them like they the likes of Keane Prendergast looked at Dwayne Vermeulen a World Cup winner the vice captain of that South African team and said I have you like that that's the level that Connacht got to in that game and granted a lot of players didn't have their best game down in Cape Town but that happens it's a week travel it's you know, you're losing a day, you're losing training, like it's a different schedule or whatever. But like, I, I don't know, maybe it was one of you, maybe it was someone else said that probably wasn't Connacht's best performance of the year, but it was their best result up in Ravenhill. Taking those two games just as a as a microcosm of the season, like, I'm, I'm trying to think of the best way to word this now. Um, do you think that will give Connacht not, not just a bit of, a bit of confidence going into next season but do you think that is again like we said before that's where their mentality is we can go and we can get a result or we can at least die in our sword I 
I think Andy Friend said it best after the storm as much, to be honest. He's like, Connacht are at a place now where pats on the back for good performances are just not what we're about. Um, and we're going to, the new coach team going to take over. They're going to look at next year. And it's like, look, lads, do you want pats on the back for good performances or do you want to start putting these games away? You know, and it's actually going to be a boost for next year. Like that also match was incredible. Um, the most convincing 15-10 win you'll ever see in your life. You know, it should have been out of sight at halftime. Doing the hard way as always. It's not even the hard way. It's just, <laughs> you know, that was, it was a first time in a quarterfinal in a long time. It's a big game. People, make, you know, that that's the extra 2%, you know. And we had a game plan that completely ran Ulster ragged. You know, Ulster have one way of playing towards the end of the season and we had them figured out. Simple as you can't make mistakes against Stormers. Munster will find that out in two weeks time. You know, it's just the way life is. Good performances ish. Things to work on. Yeah. Great. Great stuff for the coaches to to use next season. Yeah. And just on that. Um, uh, yeah. So just you mentioned like, you know, winning these games will help next year. I think absolutely it does. And my theory on this is, Look, you can say that you're good enough to be the team, but until you actually do it, it's very, very tough to convince yourself that you are. And I think the biggest example of that is Ireland beating the All Blacks in Ireland in, in November and then going down there the following year and beating them in a series. I don't think that series win happens on, apart from that, on, unless that win that November beforehand happens. Do you know what I mean? Because, like, again, you can tell yourself over and over that, that oh, yeah, we can do this. Until you do it, it's, it's just not there. So that quarterfinal win, winning a big quarterfinal away from home against Ulster, that has to stand for the lads come next season again, just for purely confidence. Yeah, and I might like next season. It's not really something we talked about with Ulster, but they're in a more precarious situation. And, and you know, that was the last part. But for Connacht, we we know what's happening. We know their coaches. We know the signings. We know the story with with basically everything. Like they've made a continuity appointment with Pete Wilkins. So continuity appointments can go really, really right, or can go really wrong. We hope it goes well for them. What do you think he will take away, firstly, from those closing weeks, again, going back on that, like from, say, January on? And what do you think he can take away just in general going into next season that he could be thinking, I suppose, here's how we get to the next level or here's what we're going to build on. Like, this is our, I'm not going to say a base level performance because, like, his first few games is going to be without some key players, but what, what where, where is he going to say, this is where we're starting from or this the minimum or how do you think he addressed things in August? We'll go to you, Mark. It's 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 tough to know because like he's gonna he's gonna have a squad that he knows pretty well. He's I'd say he's almost individually picked a lot of the players that he's coming in. Like so, he won't have that time of figuring out is this my team? What's my team gonna do? He'll he'll have a plan. I think they've figured out ways they want to play. I think they're gonna continue a lot of them by the by looks things and with the appointments they have in in Fardy, Muldoon and Mark Sexton, I think there's enough fresh voices there to make what we're doing, to improve on what we're doing. So I don't know. It's like, it's hard, it's hard to say what he's going to do. Cause I like, I, I like Pete. I, I like listening to him talk. I think he's a very smart guy. He's got that, he's got that likable nature about him that you kind of want to just let him talk. And, but if you watch the, the kind of documentary, he's also a hard ass in training, you know, like, one of my favorite lines is this you, you can sun you can um you can sunbathe all you want when you retire, you know, get training when you're free. It's that type of stuff. He's is he's a he's got a winning mentality. And I think he'll want to push Connacht on, and I don't think he'll care how he does it, you know. Yeah, and we'll come to you, Stephen. What do you think he'll he'll go from from next season? I think he'll bring a lot of confidence. I think um <clears throat> totally agree. He's very well spoken. He, uh, you know, the few players we've spoken to couldn't have spoke more highly of him. Um, and the rest of the coaching ticket, I think he'll take confidence from the fact that, yeah, some big names have signed for Connacht and they've signed knowing that he'll be the, the coach. They'll, I'm sure they've came and t- spoke to him. They've obviously believed in his kind of the, the his plan and his future for the club. Then and then, then continue to sign for the club, you know, especially with I'm sure they could have got a bigger paycheck somewhere else, and you know, chances are, but they chose to come to, to Connacht that they believe in what Wilkins can do. I think he'll hit the ground running. I think, um, I think he's a real kind of innovator in terms of the way he thinks about rugby. Uh, I'm excited to see again, we don't know how much of this year was 
is it purely Wilkins? Because look, a friend still signed off on everything that had to, that 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 was decided on. So we we don't know. He could be way more expansive as an attack next year. That friendy isn't there. He could be less expansive. We don't know yet. Um, I'd like to see them be a bit more expansive, a bit more. Uh, I think we ranked very low on offloads this year. I think that would have really helped us a little bit, especially against Stormers, when we couldn't physically beat them. Um, but I, I'm excited. I think he'll I think he'll hit the ground running. One of the lowest in 22 entries I see today, something like that. So, like, there's there's things to work on straight away. And we, we're just touching the work-ons. We'll get back to the – we've touched on Pete Wilkins here, so we'll get back to the main coach and take it. But we'll go, just go to work-ons. And one of the listener questions came in from Aina and from Brian, and they both looked at that. Like, what are their work-ons for next season? Like, they want to push the next level. Where do you see it coming from? Like, Aina suggested maybe restarts. I know if we had this conversation this time last year, we would have said them all and that completely turned around and went up another few levels. So where do you see it going next year? Where would you like to see it go in terms of where would you like to see them advance their game? Go to you, Park. I think add another dimension to their overall attacking play. I think our set we're too reliant on strike plays. I think once we get into that past five, phase five, six, seven, if we haven't broken the line, like we're we've been a kick heavy team. I think we need to just mix that up a small bit more, especially around the halfway line. I've small things like if we're gonna take tap and goals, make sure we at least get the first phase. Too many times we just knocked on on a try line. I'm like this, that's just not good enough. Like that's just a simple thing. If anyone's noticed, watch Dave Heffernan do tap and goals. He picks the ball up like a, like a GA player. He scoops it up. I just wanted to, it's one of the, like it's one of the, like it's one of the fun best things I noticed a couple of years ago and I just like I think it's class. Um and yeah the restarts I think have been a bit better once but I think that's restarts are more of a mental skills thing, like just being switched on to get the ball and execute the exit. I think there's too much time we just don't make a decision. What are we what are we doing? Right or wrong, if you actually commit to a decision once you've made it, it saves you the five second the, the, the half a second deciding what it has cost you so it's stuff like that it's but it really is small stuff i think it's giving better better minutes to people coming in so when if they have to start they're ready to go i think there's a bit too much of the five tens let's get people playing for 20 25 but it's really is small stuff i think kind of they're working on now i think a new attack assistant attack coach will help a lot of what we're doing, especially going forward. Mark Sexton, I think if you looked at the under twenties this year, some of their attack was incredible. I think he's going to bring back some of that attack from anywhere flair that we had under lamb, but that married with our kicking game, I think is going to be a, a good, a good mix going forward. Yeah. We'll just, um, we'll just go to the coach and take it down because obviously Mark Sexton's been mentioned. We, we've name checked them all at some stage in the podcast. Stephen, what do you make of the ticket as a whole um, and what they bring individually? And, and for people who don't know, maybe just talk us through who they have and what jobs in case there are people who, who would like a refresher. Yeah, so obviously Pete Wilkins will remain as head coach. Then uh, they have obviously Collie Tucker will remain on. I believe he's in charge of scrums. Um, Muldoon has come in. I think he's taken over from Deval Senegal. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, in effect, in yeah. Of, uh, yeah, so line outs and malls. Uh, Fardy's come in. I assume he'll be defense coach, um, and then Mark Sexton has come in as kind of assistant attack coach, uh, who will work with Pete Wilkins, I believe. Um, again, I, I could be open to a correction there, but um, yeah, look, it's it's again kind of similar to how we go about signing players. Um, maybe not the most proven track records, but bags of potential and bags of uh, you know potential talent. Um, obviously Muldoon coming back doesn't need that whole pile of explanation. What he means to the club. Um, and even just the atmosphere he'll bring when he is there, especially at home games. But again, does he have the best coaching record? No, he doesn't. He's only had, I think, one job uh, over at Bristol and it wasn't exactly uh, hugely successful either. But, you know, kind of, it's almost like a who cares at, at this point, kind of like let's bring him in and see what he can do back in, in, in Connacht. Scott Fardy, again, uh, has very, very limited coaching experience. But what I like... And, and same with Mark Sexton. What I like what Pete Wilkins has done, he surrounded himself with winners, with guys who know what it takes to win and, and do it at a professional level. Like Scott Fardy just made a career out of winning with Leinster, um, just knew how to get the job done and did it. Muldoon, the same with Connacht. 
Uh, Sexton's coming in for that very successful on the 20s kind of squad and has obviously has that uh, competitive genes in him uh, from his brother um, and a fantastic hairline uh, alongside his brother as well. <laughs> it's also another part of the genes. Um, look, yeah, again, it's it's hugely poten- a huge potential among this Connick squad, uh, coaching staff, should I say. Um, my worry is, you kind of touched on already, how amazing our mall and line-out has been this year, and that's been all into the work of Duval Senegal. I'd like to see that continue, at least, if not being improved on. Um, if that takes a step back, that will obviously be a massive shame. I hope it doesn't. Um, but yeah, like he surrounded himself with guys who knows what it takes to win at the highest level. Uh, they're not very used to losing, um, and I think that can only be a, a good thing. I think what um, Scott Fardy is going to bring is what DeWalt said to the team very early on the season. He pretty much told the pack they were soft. Like, imagine your coach telling you you're soft. Like, has Dave, Dave Heffern's come out and said this, you know what I mean? Like, he says, and Connacht were, I, I he think... Wasn't Dave, wrong. He wasn't wrong. Connacht were a nice rugby team. Does that make sense? Connacht are a nice rugby team. Nice to watch. Nice to play against. This year, we've not been a nice rugby team. We've been physical. We've been tough. And that's just down to mental <clears> attitude <throat> times, you know? You don't have to be the biggest guy. It's not about the size of dogs, it's about the size of the fight in the dog, you know? And I think that's what kind of he brought mainly. I think Scott Faraday will hopefully fill that void because I think if Muldoon lets his emotion pour in to his coach into Connacht, it could be mayhem, um, to be honest. Yeah, and that's and that's fair. And with Secret U Park for the, the final the final question, even we'll come back to you this evening as well. But just going through the players that Connacht have signed, some of the lads that are departing. Um, like it, it is quite a revolving door this season, unfortunately, and it reflects the, the game as a whole and, and the, the, the directive the RFU want to go towards um with less games being played. But do you want to just give us an overview of those players coming in and out and then maybe finish up on guys you want to see come good next season, be it younger guys or even other players you want to see push on to, to greater heights? So, like, I think the guys leaving there, there's a, there's a ton going. I think the headlines of Kieran Marmy and Shane Delahunt and Alex Wooten will, like, take most of the chat. But, you know, Leva played great stuff for us when he was here. Fitzgerald is always given 110%. Masterson, Kieran Booth and Adam Byrne, you know, these guys all gave to the jersey and on their day could add it to performances. It's just the nature of the beast that they had to go. Like, I think Kieran Marmion's going to be a, a big loss. Um, he has that innate ability to not fuck around and find out. If that makes sense, at the back of a mall and the back of a rook, like if that ball isn't isn't anyway in any danger, it's gone. It, it, it doesn't live there. And that's the one thing I think we're really going to miss from him. But when you see what's coming in, I think obviously San Diego Cordero is going to like really take the headlines. A exciting back three player. Not that we have any of them really ever uh, in our in our team. You know, I'm 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 tempted to like get a, a t-shirt line made up going. You can't spell cock without pace the outside backs. Just uh, I think it'd be a hot seller down in in Munster anyway. Who likes slagging us? <laughs> oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> Wait like, until the end to knock me. <laughs> but like, in the final anyway the sevens <laughs> lads coming in i think they're smart i was watching the sevens over the weekend i think um the two boys are gonna be really good additions to the squad they're 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 really nice i think with all those uh outside backs being brought in people forgot that joe joyce was like tagged last year that's coming in from bistol i think that's a, a smart signing with sean jansen and sean o'brien like big guys are entering that pack you know and I think lots of different experience coming in as players from different environments is really, really good to see. Declan Moore and Michael McDonald, yes, they're a bit, yes, they're a bit going to be squad players. But I think for me in those positions, there's talent in those guys that we think are going to be good. Like the Butler, I think is going to come good. Dylan Tina Martin will be an international. He will get international caps. You can see it in him. He's got that dog in him. Sam Elo is a guy that I think is really going to push on next season. So I think we're at a point where the young guys are ready to take that step up. The guys coming in are going to add to the strength and depth and especially bulk up the pack. And hopefully those back three guys will play into what Wilkins wants to do because they definitely have the pace to play fast. So hopefully they can 
they acclimatize the 15s as quick as possible. And I can't wait to see Santiago in a green jersey because that's going to be great crack. That will be something all right. Like to think, like even Ireland signing um, Argentinian international isn't really something that we've seen too much of. Is there any, I might just throw this to you actually, Stephen. Is there any players currently there that you want to see push on or players who are, we're going well, maybe push towards international or or, or even the younger pairs. Because to be fair to Connacht, it's been they kind of that golden generation of about 10 years ago, Carty, Buckley, Marmee, and all those guys. It's been a bit slower since, but they've had key players involved in the very successful under 20s in recent years. So, then when you're looking forward to seeing in green next season, yeah, there's three lads I want to, I, I definitely want to highlight. So, starting off with Jamie Kilgallen, um, he's only, yeah. he's still only so young, but. Uh, he hasn't. He, I don't think he's had a bad game yet for Connacht. I can't remember. Actually, I have it up here. I'll tell you now. Um, I can't. Sorry, I, I don't want to look for it. But uh, he, I don't think he's. He doesn't have that many caps. But every time he plays, he seems to either score a try or he just seems to be, uh, you know, man the match contender. He's absolutely fantastic. Uh, seems to be an absolute sick athlete. Um, and only seems only will get better. And when you know when Max away in international duty, it's great to have him there to kind of slot in fairly seamlessly. Um, and I can only, I only, I get very excited when I think about what he potentially could be. Um, another one is Kyle Ford. Again, just because we don't really know what we have with him, um, he's he's a big, he's a he's a big boy, and he's only he's he can play twelve, can play ten. Is he is he Jack's successor? Is he going to be an out and out twelve? We don't really know what the plan is for him yet. Uh, but he had a big big finish of the season. Um, and he's a big, big ball carry in kind of twelve if he wants to be. So I'm excited again. He's only played thirteen times. The, the you know the the sky the sky's the limit for him. And lastly, a player who I think will need to have a big year is Colin Riley. Obviously, as Park said, with Marmion leaving, Colin Riley's going to get a lot more caps uh, next season. And where Connacht fans were absolutely blessed this year that when Blade was coming off, we'd have Kieran Marmion to come on. There's going to be a bit more of a gap there with Colin Riley. I really like Colin Riley. I think he is, uh, as Park as Park was saying, he's he's absolutely uh, he's got that dog in him. He he doesn't give a fuck who you are. He's going to absolutely fight you if necessary. Um, and he's he seems to be a very skilled uh, scrum half. So you know, I think kind of current fans will have to be a bit you know patient with him. It's not going to be Kieran Marmion coming on. It's going to be Colin Riley. He's only a young lad, seventeen caps. Uh, but I think he has the potential to become a really really good scrum half. Uh, and you know more game time next season will only contribute to that. So there are three kind of guys I wanted to highlight of maybe the younger generation. What I like yeah. about him is he has that thing of he gets the ball away from the rook ASAP. And I think that's something that, when especially coming on as a sub, really does help with tempo. It's the other side of it. Can he slow a game down? Can he control that side? Um, I'm looking forward to seeing him. I think he's great. I think that young Connacht contingent that came through the academy, like Jennings, is another name that that's coming through it's 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 we're in fine health in that young that young side of things it's great it's really is great to see yeah sorry as well, of, we have to want... mention Shim. we have to mention Seamus Harry Langton how can we not yeah just, just Langton yeah like Record imagine worlds <laughs> oh, I we don't need it. speedy outside backs <laughs> yeah we just have we can't believe he's not Irish playing Actually, for us on that on all the seven sorry and this is just a tangent but there, there has to be a plan with all these sevens, Wilkins. It's not like Wilkins just like, oh, another sevens player, I'll take him. Like there has to be, uh, there has to be a plan here, right? That maybe some of them will turn to twelves, thirteens, tens. Maybe I'm assuming that's it's that. good general fast ball playing backs, you know. And what you do is you bring them in, especially those two guys, and you don't, they don't have to start straight away. You have, like you said, you have Kilgannon, you have Jennings setting up, you have Porch who'll be there all the time, you have Tierney Hannon who'll be there all the time. So your back line is fine for starters, but these guys are super 23s for their first couple of caps. Find out where they live. Like Brian Ralston's still there, you know, like where these Shane guys... Walton, are, you haven't mentioned, he's only played once this season, I think. Yeah, and yeah, if he why, comes good, why, if he comes why good... Why are we not playing him more? I don't get it. He's a free... He's not been injured, no? He's been injured in the top half of the season. I think when he was coming back, Call Four started playing really well. It's the problem is, is like when you have guys of an equal standard, one guy just being on being fit at the right time just kills your chance. Like it's not that he's played badly, it's just because even for Galwegians, he's scoring tries. You know, he's playing well. In fairness to Ford, and this is, I'm not trying to 
make a headline here, but I actually think Connacht had their best rugby of the season with Ford or Hawkshaw at 12 rather than Bundy. And listen, not Slayton Bundy, like not a fear of it. Too afraid to do that anyway. But like, I think that their style of play, it has, it has been their best. You can slay him, boys. just don't steal Robbie's laptop. That's all. And don't steal chicken on the streets of Auckland. That's all. This <laughs> yeah. is a good gen- general rule of thumb for life. Yeah, don't do that. Don't steal around Bundyak. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's, it's actually funny you mention um, Shane Jennings and Colin Roy. Because well, I actually went to school with those two boys. So it's good to see oh. the um, the Garbley lads pushing through, having won, I think it was three senior cups in a row. And he's so, a monster supporter, lads. A monster I know, supporter. I know. I'm I'm a very confused individual, really. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we all? Aren't we all? <laughs> I know. Listen, you can't say much. But <laughs> no, lads, this, this has been good fun now, to be fair. And I think we'll leave it at that. So thanks very much, Porrick and Stephen, for your contributions. And I will we'll definitely catch up next season and with the World Cup coming up as well and Stephen I promise I'll give you a bit of an intro next time around if, if that's what we can see come on and thanks at home thanks for having me on no thanks for having me thanks at home to everyone for listening as well so part three of this series will be recorded next week and we're going to look back on the season of Leinster who are hoping to claim European glory this weekend and speaking of that big matchup in Dublin I'm recording a bonus Heineken Champions Cup final podcast tomorrow, which will be available first thing Thursday. So just to get wet the appetite before Dublin's first final in 10 years. So if you like what you see or like what you hear, please do subscribe. And you can find all the links for my channels down below. But for now, folks, take it easy. Slow and fall. Sports Social Podcast Network.